The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. Today we've got Jason Galvin, your host, and Jim Higgins, your co-host, along with our guest in studio today, Bill Fisher. Bill Fisher is an Air Force, was an Air Force dog handler in the Vietnam era. And today we're so glad that you're here, Bill. And Jim, if you could go ahead and kick us off, we'd really appreciate that. Well, thanks, Jason. Uh, Yeah, I think, Bill, we first met you almost three years ago. You walked in, and I think I remember the words were, you know, I was a dog handler in Vietnam, and I kind of scratched my head a little bit and said, hmm, I wonder what that's about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so then, uh, and uh, there's, you know, a very interesting story and very different than what I expected, so I think we're going to talk about that today. Okay. But before we get into that, I, I think there's always some humor, and sometimes when you talk about joining the military, and, and I remember there was a little discussion when you came home, you told us that you came home and told the family you wanted to join the Marines. Correct, yep. And uh, the response was not positive. Uh, I, I told my family at a family gathering, I don't remember which holiday it was, but the whole family was together, which included my uh, parents, my sister, her husband. And um, I said I wanted to join the Marines, and and um, nobody supported that, and and my uh, brother-in-law uh, told me if I wanted to get shot at, go run around the backyard, and he'll shoot at me. <laughs> so <laughs> I wound up giving that dream up and, and uh, wound up uh, enlisting in the Air Force. And, Bill, the other part that I should have mentioned, you know, this is a time, I guess you were a mid-teenager at the time, human missile crisis was going on, and you felt a real commitment to the our country. Well, the Cuban Missile Crisis happened a few years before that uh, story that I mentioned. Um, and, but, yes, my, my brother-in-law's unit was one of the units that was called up. And uh, I can remember us all listening, gathered around the radio, and we were listening as the units were being read off by the uh, radio announcers. And uh, it was a, it was a stref- stressful period. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, you're right. I was I was in high school, probably a sophomore at that time. And uh, so I wasn't, uh, my my entry into the military wasn't imminent at that time. Well, tell us a little bit about, uh, just uh, give us a little bit of information around your, um, how you became a dog handler, how that uh, you were selected for that or volunteered for that. Give us a little bit background around that. Okay. Um, 
volunteered for the Air Force and, of course, was sent down to Lackland Air Force Base for basic training. Went through about eight weeks of basic training. And I really, uh, at that time, not, not too many guys got their choice of duty. And so uh, it was uh, one of the last days of basic, and, and our TI gathered us all into the barracks and started handing out orders. And the orders told us where we're going to go next and um, what we're going to be doing. And so I was, um, I was assigned to uh, Air Force Security Police and um, at, out at Pease Air Force Base in New Hampshire. Um, and uh, that was my first duty station. That's where I went. Um, once I got there, um, started working. It was a SAC base, a Strategic Air Command base, and they had B-52s uh, uh, on the flight line, uh, all loaded with uh, atomic weapons and ready to take off at a moment's notice. And so my job, uh, my first job was to walk around the B-52 eight hours a day. And uh, it was swing shifts, sometimes it'd be days, sometimes it'd be night. Uh, but it was the most boring job in the history of the world. <laughs> you just, <laughs> just walk around and and uh, do nothing. Um, of course, if somebody would try to uh, gain access to the plane, uh, then uh, you would have to uh, stop them, challenge them, call it in. And, um, and of course, there were drills where that happened, but only in a drill, as part of a drill. And so uh, uh, I made friends with um, another gentleman, and um, he and I actually had gone through BASIC together, and we were both assigned to PEAS, both assigned as Air Force Security Police. And uh, somebody came along and... Um, uh, told told us uh, we were I, th- I think we were in our um, um, we were in our flight formation and they told us they were looking for volunteers to be um, dog handlers sentry dog handlers and that if we volunteered we would go to Southeast Asia. Um, he and I were standing next to each other and we both volunteered at the same time. So um, going to Southeast Asia. It could be Thailand, but you, you figured it was probably going to be Vietnam. And uh, at the time, that was okay with me uh, because um, I felt that um, uh, what we were doing was, was important. Uh, at the time when you lived in that era, um, that was the era where, where communism was taking over country after country after country. And it was uh, wasn't that long after World War II, and um, that was spreading, and so there was fear that it would spread around the world and eventually overtake us. And uh, I remember President Johnson um, being on uh, television and saying we are going to uh, we are going to fight there as opposed to here in our homeland, and um, I felt it was important, and so. I wanted to be part of that. Bill, I heard two things there, and I just for clarification, I heard you were really bored. 
Yes, at first. <laughs> but then was there a natural love of dogs too, possibly? Part oh, of yeah. It? Yeah, I've always loved dogs. Um, um, my parents got um, got my sister and I our first dog when I was five. Uh, her name was Skippy. And uh, uh, she, we had her until I was about 16. And um, she, was, she was a wonderful dog. Um, all the dogs that I've been associated with have been wonderful dogs. Um, and uh, as long as you're realistic about the dogs and you know how to treat them, uh, we haven't had any problems with any of our dogs. Uh, so at any rate, uh, there is a natural love of dogs for us, yes. So you, you become a dog handler with your friend, and uh, you end up over in Southeast Asia. Um, was Tell us about the training period, how you got to know the dogs, how the dogs were selected. and uh, Well, we trained down at Lackland Air Force Base. It was a joint Army and Air Force training. Um, half the guys were Army, half the guys were Air Force, half the TIs were Air Force, half the TIs were Army. And um, it, the dogs were trained while the handlers were trained. But we didn't go over to Vietnam with those dogs. They were trained, and then they were shipped to who knows where, wherever the Air Force had a need. Um, we, uh, most of us, were probably shipped to Vietnam, and that was where the greatest need was. And um, uh, at any rate, um, the training involved uh getting to know dogs, getting to understand how to uh, train the dogs to do what they need to be doing. Um, starts with a long leash and uh, about a 30-foot leash. And so the dog thinks that, you know, you, you, he's away from us. If He might think, well, I can just skedaddle out of here. But really he can't because he's on this leash. And so he learns that when we teach him our commands and, and our commands in terms of verbal commands and our commands in terms of the um, our motions that we give him, such as come would be the hand towards the body, um, then he eventually uh, uh, figures out that that's what he's supposed to be doing. And um, most of the dogs were did very well. All these dogs were, uh, were came from, um, at that time, all these dogs came from families, families who donated them. My parents wound up donating a German Shepherd to the Air Force one time while I was still in the Air Force. Um, uh, and uh, the dogs that didn't make it, that failed, um, for them to go back to family life, they had to fail uh, before the aggressive training started. They were trained at that time. They were trained to uh, detect. They were trained, of course, to be obedient, to do exactly what we tell them to do. And um, they were trained to detect. And actually, the dog's biggest value is detection. Um, but they were also trained to be weapons. 
And they were trained to be very aggressive back then and trained to hurt people, hurt the enemy. Um, and once they got into that kind of training, then they could not be shipped back to a family life um, because they're trained to actually hurt people. Um, so not all the dogs made it. I had one dog that um, just uh, I don't think made it. And um, I, I can't remember if that was before or after aggression. But um, uh, at any rate, um, uh, we went through that training, and uh, uh, that involved involved us patrolling out in the boonies and uh, detecting uh, TIs that were that were representing the enemy trying to penetrate our areas, and so we did did that, and then. Um, Then after that, um, once the dogs were totally trained, then uh, we wound up with two two weeks of combat training, and uh, that was led mostly by the army, which included a little bit of hand to hand and and uh, weapons training, um, things of that type. Um, in terms of weapons training. Uh, we were trained on a lot of different types of weapons. We were trained on the M16. We were trained on, I don't, the nomenclature at that time, I'm not sure what it was, but but the closest thing to it nowadays, people call it the M4. It was uh, shorter and the, the stock collapses. That's what that's really what we carried when we were in Vietnam. Um, and we were trained on hand grenades, and we were trained on uh uh, grenade launchers. Uh, we were trained on M2. Uh, we were trained on the M60 machine gun. A lot of different weapons. We were being trained to go to war. What was the length of training? How long were you guys in training before you were kind of ready to go forth? It was uh, about eight weeks. Uh, uh I'm thinking that it was eight weeks, including the combat training, so probably six weeks with the dogs and and uh, two weeks of combat training. So, Bill, you had a stateside dog initially, right? And this is a dog that probably wasn't going to go to Vietnam with you? or uh, You're talking about in the military? In the, Yeah, your first dog no. and your first training? No, my, um, my first duty station... I was not a dog handler. I mean, I, when you went to, when, when, okay, so when you. I went Peace Air Force Base and I went down to Lackland Air Force Base for my training. Okay. Uh, for dog handler training and then, um, and combat training. And then I was sent to Fan Rang. Okay. So you didn't actually, were not assigned a dog in the States. No. At all. No, other than the dogs that I trained. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, in that or that trained with with me, uh, those were the only dogs I was involved with at that time. Um, I was assigned a dog. I was assigned Wolf once I got over to Vietnam. Got to Phan Rang, Vietnam, and Phan Rang Air Base, and um, it was a joint base. Probably all those bases were joint bases: Army and and Air Force, and and possibly Marines and some of them. Um, we had a 
on our base. The base was large. Uh, the perimeter was about 12 miles uh, around. And um, besides uh, acting as an air base, and, uh, we had, um, I think it was F-100s or F-106s. And um, we had Canberra bombers. Um, and then uh, Army had a fire base on the base. And um, uh, there was a lot that went into protecting those air bases, and which included what was happening outside of the wire, you know, miles away. And um, that included the airstrikes of any enemy formations that uh, may have been detected. And um, so hopefully all those formations were broken up before they got to us. That was the, that was the goal. So Bill, if you could tell us just a little bit about the relationship that you had with Wolf and I know you had subsequent uh, dogs as well, but just a little bit about the relationship you had with Wolf and describe that to us. We're partners. Um, If you and I were, in the military and we were standing next to each other and we were uh, supporting each other, we'd be partners. The dog and the handler were partners. They depended upon each other um, and they trusted each other. Um, and uh, Wolf, um, Wolf was a great dog. Um, he, uh, um, he detected an enemy pen- penetration attempt um, one night and um, uh, he led me to the part of the wire where he thought the enemy was and I could hear him but I couldn't see them. He had the wire and then the vegetation right there was so thick I couldn't see more than six inches beyond the wire. At that point, part of part of our perimeter um, was cleared, and with um, uh, free fire zone, and part of it was just still wild. Uh, and this part, there was a lot of dense vegetation. Uh, at the wire and all around where I was, there were trees. So it was a very dark post, um, and it was very difficult to to see very far at all. And it's it's amazing how you can get into trees and it's it's nighttime. It's the middle of the night, but it still is darker than if you're not in the trees. <laughs> and uh, you wouldn't think that, but uh, it being night and everything, but. It, it's true. It, it it was very dark, and so uh, he led me to the uh, to the uh, part of the perimeter where he detected um, he detected uh, enemy force. Of course, he doesn't know it's enemy; it's just a human to him, another human. And uh, I could hear them. Uh, I couldn't see them. I called it in, and we all had radios. So I called it in, and I looked around, looked to the left and looked to the right, and I thought to myself, they could come in under the wire. Our perimeter was 
was uh, concertina wire, rolled up barbed wire. So you had two big rolls next to each other, and then you had another roll uh, on top of that. And that's fine, but um, uh, the enemy knew how to crawl through the things like that. And, and so it wasn't that difficult for them to crawl through it. It was, um, they wanted to do it, of course, undetected. Um, but what I did is I looked to the left, looked to the right, and I realized they could come in on either side of us, and they'd be on this post, and we'd be trapped up against the uh, perimeter wire. And so I decided I'm going to back us off. We have to have a clear field of view and and um, need to need to see more than what we're seeing. So I took us out of the trees, and I took us to an area where there was a little ridge, and there was basically just grass until you got to the trees, and then I sat us down there. What I didn't realize was we were right be right next to the fire base. And um, the 101st uh, operated that fire base. And uh, we also had Korean Marines that were outside the perimeter uh, a few miles away from where I was. Um, the fire base opened up, and they were firing directly over our heads. They were firing the same direction exact same direction that we were interested in, and they were firing directly over our heads, and we were very close, and the pain was excruciating. And I swear, uh, when those howitzers opened up, it's it seemed like we were being bounced off the ground. And if if for anybody that has, has been in front of, of uh, artillery when it fires, there was a very... Uh, high-pitched, shrill sound, immediately followed by a huge concussion. And while we were a little bit below uh, the uh, uh, howitzers, we we still got a lot of that concussion. And my dog was in huge pain, huge pain. There was a small tree there. Uh, he bit it in half. He was just, he was in agony, and I, I felt for him. Um so uh, we got through that night. Uh, the enemy did not come in, and it's very possible they didn't come in because they knew they were detected. If I could hear them, they could hear me. And also, uh, when they were coming towards the wire, they hit a tripwire, and that might have scared them also. And so... I did eventually hear them running, but I couldn't tell if they were running to just to reposition or if they were running away. I couldn't tell. So for that entire night, we're waiting for for them to come through the wire, and um, it never happened. But here's the thing. Our job wasn't to kill the enemy. Our job was to neutralize the threat, and that's what we did. We neutralized the threat. They didn't come through. I, I firmly believe they didn't come through because they knew they had been de- detected, and now they don't have the 
don't have surprise on their side. They'd have to deal with my dog and I. But then beyond that, there are towers with M60 machine guns. And all of, all of them, when I radioed it in, everybody knew there was somebody out there. So everybody was ready for them. It, uh, uh, it was probably a wise choice on their part not to, not to uh, go ahead and penetrate our perimeter. That particular post, coming through that particular post, um, they had two choices of targets. If they would get past us, uh, it was a uh, it was a path to the bomb dump if they go straight, or if they if they get beyond the trees and then turn right a little bit, you have the uh, fire base. So there were two targets that that um, they would have been interested in. Uh, I have no idea which one they had uh, targeted. Um, I doubt that it was both because I don't think it was a very large uh, force. I think it was a small team of sappers probably. It didn't seem like it was – I didn't have any indication there was a large number of of enemy force out there. So, so this is this is your first dog wolf, and Wolf's dam- hearing was damaged pretty badly then. Right, right. right. The his hearing was destroyed by um, by those uh, howitzers firing directly over our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, our flight chief came out to our post the next night and tested us to see if we could detect him, and Wolf walked right up to him. Never did detect him. Uh, his hearing hearing was uh, shot, and so he was euthanized. Hmm. And then uh, I got uh, uh, I got Rex. So after that, so you got Rex. You're, you've been in Vietnam a short while now, and you're on your second dog. Can you give us an idea of? One thing that you told me when we first met is the training for the dogs is very different process than than the public would kind of have an idea about. Can you tell us a little bit about how they trained them and got them ready? Well, down at Lackland, um, we were paired up with dogs. And um, the first thing was they had they had to learn to to obey us follow our commands with uh, without question and so that was done with a uh, uh, choke collar and a very long leash and um, we'd give them commands and such as well, we'd set them down then we'd walk away a little bit and then we'd give them the command to come and they wouldn't know what that meant so then we pulled on the leash so they would come to us and we keep we would keep saying "come," and we would keep using our our uh, hand gestures. After a while, um, that sinks in with them, and they know when we give them a hand gesture or when we say "come," they they know to come. And then we want them to heal, sit right next to us, and we train them to do that same way. We just it's a repetitive process. Uh, you. You go through the process, and at first they're not going to do it, but you gently pull 
on the leash and get them over to you and gently um, we tell them to sit. If they don't sit, you say sit, and then you push their rear end down. And um, then when they sit, you praise them. So every time this happens, every time you are you get them to do something, even if you had to pull on the leash and you had to 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 basically position them, you praise them. It, that's important. It, dogs dogs need to be praised, and just like people, people need to be told when they do something good. So, eventually, what happens is, is they will come and they do it on their own. And again, you praise them, of course. Um, and that's the whole process in uh, Vietnam. the The life of a dog handler was. Um, you go out almost every night. You just had a handful of nights off. And you'd go out almost every every night. Now, somewhere around the air base, there was a lot of times, a lot of nights, there was some firing going on. If the firing wasn't happening uh, right where you are or, or one part of our perimeter, you could see it in the distance. You could see flares in the distance. You could see... It, so something was going on a lot of nights. So, um, uh, at any rate, um, we were told that um, uh, we had uh, um, a bounty on our head. I I have no way of knowing if that how accurate that was, but that's what we were told. Um, we were told that the enemy gets $300, which is basically what the uh, average Vietnamese person earned for an entire year. And um, to get that $300, we, we on our, on our uh, uniforms, we, we had what we called combat fatigues, which now everybody wears, are camouflaged fatigues. And <clears throat> we were... Our job was was one where it was important that we were stealthy. And we we didn't want the enemy to know that we knew they were out there. We didn't want to advertise that we were coming in their direction. A lot of them knew that we would come in their direction, and so the risk was always uh, that um, uh, they they might position themselves right outside our the wire and wait in tall grass, lay in the tall grass and wait for us to come and then take shots at us. Um, we had, uh, we had sniper fire, um, not every night, um, but we had it enough and, uh, we were in small firefights. I was in a couple small firefights and, uh, uh, and as far as large uh, attacks, most of that was broken up by um, by the Korean Marines, uh, along with the Air Force. Was, so, so the fighting was occurring away from us. And um, at any rate, uh, uh, they were told the Vietnamese were told that if 
they can cut cut off the ear. <clears throat> excuse me, of one of the one of our dogs. Uh, the dogs were tattooed in the ear. They had tattoos, so kill the dog, kill the handler, cut off the ear, and then take the patch. We had a special patch we wore as dog handlers and cut that patch off of us and then bring it back and then you'd get your reward. That's what we were told. And um, I have no way of knowing how accurate that was, but I believe it because we got a lot of harassing fire. It seemed like it was fire where you had had somebody come up with an AK-47 and they were just petrified and they were they would fire in our direction but not very accurate and then they'd run like heck um if they got into firefights with us it uh usually did not bode well for them um if they got into an extended firefight with us because with an extended firefight you'd have us firing and then you'd have a um quick response team that would they would come to our aid with uh, a few men with uh, an M60 machine gun. You had the towers behind us. They would open up. They may not see what they're firing at, and they may not see the humans. They may not see the enemy, but they see the um, uh, flashes of the enemy's weapons, and so they fire at those flashes. And uh, uh, so it was, it was, there was a lot of risk for them to try to penetrate uh, and uh, do damage to us. But they, they would try. Um, you had um, sapper teams that would try to, try to penetrate. And uh, those sapper teams would want to get to the planes and blow up the planes. Um, with the satchel charges that they were carrying. Um, and one of the things we're very proud of is there was nobody uh, and no aircraft that was, uh, that was hurt or destroyed um, by an enemy ground assault of any kind. And we feel proud of that because we were the first ones. We were the point for that defense. We were the first ones that the enemy would run into. And uh, we would have to uh, report it, and then we would have to engage because we want to live. And if we didn't engage and we're right there, the fighting was very close in for us. Right there, just a few feet away from each other, you engaged, if nothing else, you engaged so that you could make it through and um um but uh at any rate um that's what that's what life was like for us and most of the nights there was nothing most of the nights is very boring um but then every once in a while something would happen and when it did happen it could happen in an instant you never knew uh, i considered all of our patrols combat patrols because Every time you went out, you were always looking for sappers or snipers. And if your dog told you there was somebody out there at the perimeter, it wasn't going to be somebody that was going to be 
some kid trying to do something funny like it was in the States. It was going to be somebody that's trying to kill you or trying to kill people behind you or trying to destroy the aircraft. And um, so uh, I'm very proud that uh, I was part of the 35th Security Police and very proud that we had that record that nobody, nobody got through and nobody behind us got hurt from a, a ground assault. Um, Bill, can you tell us about the time Rex saved your life? Yeah. <clears throat> that particular time, dog handlers were, were deployed to their posts. Um, half of them were deployed before sundown. We, we worked night, and um, as half of us were deployed before sundown, but not very much before sundown, and half of us were deployed shortly after sundown. And um, at that particular night, I was deployed. I was in the group that was going to be deployed shortly after sundown. Well, um, security police, um, uh, they had a ambush team unit, and whoever the powers would be decide where the ambush team was, would be placed, guessed right that night. And they placed them right on the uh, on the uh, uh, post that I was to patrol that night. And the enemy hit us, and they hit us before I was deployed. I could hear it on the radio, and uh, then I was being trucked out there, and I could see the tracers. And um, I was nervous. Um, of course, um, they, they got me out right where the post started. Uh, I jumped off the truck and there was a tower there with uh, two men manning a machine gun. And I asked them, excuse me, my radio had stopped working on the way there. I asked them to radio the ambush team and let them know I'm coming out. Between me, where I was when I got off the truck, and the ambush team, there was elephant grass, very tall elephant grass. So <clears throat> it, it came up to my neck and my chin, and um, the ambush team would not know who's coming through that elephant grass. They could probably hear it, but they wouldn't know who it is. And they aren't firing at this point in time, but they had just been in a firefight, and um, my concern was they're going to be nervous. Um, I want them to know that I'm coming out. So I asked the men in the tower, and they were scared. And you could you could hear it in their voice. They were very scared. And um, uh, they said they would do it, but they didn't. Now, it's possible they didn't because our radios were jammed. That's a possibility. So at any rate, I was walking through that elephant grass, and I had to. I didn't know exactly where the ambush team was on the post and where the enemy was on the post. 
And I was hoping that I would, I was walking towards the ambush team and, and I heard a rifle bolt. I had to immediately make a decision. That's either the enemy or it's one of us. And if it's, if it's the enemy and I don't fire, I can be killed. If it's one of us and I do fire, I could kill one of our own. I made a decision that it's one of us because I made a decision that um, an enemy force, if they're on the base still, uh, they would they want to stay um, uh, stay hidden. They don't want me to find them, and so they're not going to be. You're not going to be hearing sounds from them. And at any rate, before I could do anything, my dog um, Rex. He had never never done this before. He never did it afterwards, but he jumped straight up. I mean, straight up, as high as he could, got his head above that elephant grass. And as soon as he did, I heard somebody in the ambush team say, don't fire, it's a dog handler. So they knew I was coming in, but they didn't know who I was. They didn't know if I was the enemy, that they had just uh, uh, had a firefight with or if or if I was a dog handler. And uh, so Rex saved my life that night. If he hadn't done that, I might very well have been killed friendly fire uh, that night. And I uh, was able to hook up with the ambush team and then do my job. And, and uh, another dog handler was able to, or was given the task of, of, going towards the flight line and trying to determine if anybody got through to the flight line and um, nobody got through. So I think we were okay that particular night. Um, I was looking on the other side of the wire and it's one of these things that is, it was like a movie. I was, I was looking and I, I saw uh, two silhouettes in tall grass and I thought to myself, did I see that or did I think I see that? Did I think I saw that? But um, I probably saw it. It's probably whoever they were, our ambush team was firing at and, and they were trying to withdraw. So any rate, um, I, I, one, one, one last point, and this is important, uh, and I think this is probably true of all military, all U.S. military that, uh, well, probably all military around the world that uh, gets into combat situations. Uh, the first week I was I, I was on patrol at Van Rang, um, my dog Wolf uh, told me there was somebody at, at the wire, and uh, he went on what they call went on alert. I called it in. Dogs going alert, you called in. And then what you had to do at that time, and you don't do that. I don't believe they do that anymore. Uh, but we had to walk in with the dog. So enemy would know if, if dog handlers find them, the handler is going to be with the dog because they're on a leash. You're tethered with the leash. Um, I've never experienced fear as... Powerful is the fear I experienced that night. I was probably, it was probably about my third patrol. 
and it was the first time I I had a chance of uh, there was a possibility I was going to get into combat, and uh, the fear was so powerful I had to mentally force my legs to move, you know. And uh, when I radioed it in, I know my voice was shaking. Um, afterwards, it it turned out there was a friendly down there, and I was told he was checking the wire. I've since thought to myself, eh, he might have been checking. He might have been checking me to see if I detect him, you know. But um, at any rate, it was a friendly. And um, but I told, I told myself, I'm not going to make it through this year if I don't get control of this fear. I'm going to wind up getting killed uh, because I'm almost paralyzed with this fear, and I taught myself and i think a lot of um a lot of men in combat tell themselves um that uh are they can they can push that fear deep down inside and it's a feeling and you can push that deep down inside and that fear is always there but it's no longer controlling you now i found when i did that i also became a less pleasant person um a lot of my compassion and things uh, kind of went out the window um it was there but it it um i became a harder person and um uh but i probably needed to be in order to uh, get through that uh get through that year so great story bill the, um, so you served, uh, about this time you had an option of staying on in Vietnam as a dog handler or moving to a different role there. Right. And the different role was just as security, security police. Yes. Um, I was approached and asked if I'd extend, uh, for six months. And honestly, um, um, I didn't have to extend. It wasn't an order. It was a request. Would I want to extend? I told him no. Um, once I'm done with my year, I'd rather rotate back. Now, back then, uh, there was no shortage of men because the draft was was going for full bore. So there were millions of men out there. Uh, uh, and... Uh, any rate, uh, I was approached then a few days later and was told that um, I was going to lose my dog because they had other dog handlers coming in. And because I wasn't going to extend, they were going to give my dog to one of the new dog handlers. And then I was assigned to what's called a panther flight. Panther flight uh, fought at night. They were for defensive purposes only. And they're the ones who who um, operated the ambush teams and uh, uh, manned the towers with machine guns. Um, uh, and um, we um, uh, we secured uh, truck convoys going between bases, uh, things like that. So the last few months, uh, I was on Panther flight and uh, did that type of work. And honestly, there's uh, 
nothing really occurred when I was on Panther flight, which is good. Um, while I was there, um, all of my experiences that have really stuck with me that made an impact was that as a dog handler. And uh, I think in part because as a dog handler, we were always the tip of the spear. We were always the ones that would be the first ones to contact the enemy, um, uh, come in contact with the enemy to report enemy uh, movement and things of that type. Um, uh, and I got lucky too. Um, we had the Tet Offensive and, um, we had the Tet Offensive and, uh, uh, Benoit had a perimeter overrun, huge, huge attack on Benoit and, uh, hundreds of rockets and followed by about 1500, a strong enemy force uh, as ground assault. And at um, any rate, um, uh, they came and pulled several of us from the barracks and had a list, and my name was on the list. So uh, we're standing outside of C-47 in formation, and the uh, officer um, was preparing us to go down to Benoit to help them uh, recapture that perimeter, support them in whatever way we could. And then here comes somebody. Uh, he he wasn't on the list, but he wanted to go. Now, they could only take so many because this was the Tet Offensive and everybody was getting hit. We got lucky. We had a um, gunship catch an enemy force outside of our perimeter. It was flying outside of our perimeter, dropping flares, and all of a sudden, here comes uh, uh, tracers up after that gunship. And the gunship turned, and a couple bursts of the uh, Gatling guns, and that's all it took. But that was probably the enemy force that was about to hit us. So we got lucky. But you never know what was else what else was coming. Um, I was asked. I I had twelve days left before I was ready to go home. I was asked if I was told that if I wanted to, I could stay and this other guy could go. And I thought to myself, well, I've made it this far. Um, I don't have anything to prove. I've I've done a good job, and uh, if he wants to go, he can go. So. He went and I stayed. And it's also been one of my biggest regrets. I don't have many regrets in life, but that's one. I, in looking in hindsight, at, at times I wish I would have gone. Um, but then I talked to my wife, and my wife says, well, if you had been killed, we would have never met, and our son would have never been born. So it's true. Well, Jim, or... Uh do you have any final thoughts before I, I wrap us up? Well, just one last quick thought, Bill, that uh, you, you've told me. You still attend a lot of reunions with dog handlers. I attend some of them. Some of them? Yeah. Um, last one was in 2019. Of course, then we had the pandemic hit, and that messed everything up. Um, there's another one that we're trying to get organized for next year here in St. Louis. And um, 
hopefully we do. We have a large organization, Vietnam Dog Handlers of America. Um, and uh, that is Air Force, Army, and Marines, plus some Navy. Um, it doesn't matter what branch you're in. Our our bond is the fact that we're all dog handlers. Um, and then the and then the other years, it's a smaller one, the 35th Security Police uh, Dog Handler Association. And um, uh, we get together and, and uh, you know, I don't know how much longer we're going to do it. The herd is thinning. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you, Bill, for sharing your story with us and for uh, being in the studio here with Jim and I. You know, it's very important for us to share your story with the rest of the world, you know, the rest of uh, the people out there that um, wouldn't hear this story without us being here. And finally, you know, I want to say welcome home. Thank you. And uh, we really appreciate your service, and we're so thankful for everything you've done for this country. Thank you. And uh, thank you for being in studio again. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. And as we near Memorial Day, we know you wanted to remember three dog handlers lost at Van Ring Air Base. Bernard Ford from Oaklawn, Illinois, was killed on 5 July 1967 while Bill was at Van Ring. Bill knew him well. Bernard was killed in a ground accident when his weapon accidentally discharged. Joel Loftus from Lamarck, Texas. He was killed on 7 June 1969 during a rocket attack. Charles Orshua from Sunnyvale, California, was killed on 15 July 1969 in a ground vehicle accident. All three were with the 35th Security Police Squadron at Fan Ring Air Base. Thank you for sharing this information with us, Bill. All three were lost as they were performing their duties protecting the lives and property located at Fan Ring Air Base. So on Memorial Day and every day, it's important with, that we honor and remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Join us next time on the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum as we host Ella Matea from Ella's Fearless Heroes Lemonade Stand. Ella had a mission to help our veterans and first responders. She started a lemonade stand when she was eight. The stand has brought her friends and family together for a common goal, to help her heroes. Entering the 2022 season, Ella has raised over $120,000 for her heroes. We will visit with Ella and talk about how the stand got started and some of the highlights from her past stands. Thank you, and we look forward to having Ella in our studio. located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneesri at allstate.com, R-E-N-E-E,
S-H-E-S-S-A-R-Y at Allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her. The Dog Tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.